This week and uh, next week will be the last two messages in this series on Karen's of prayer. Um, I told you when we started that I had a, a list of uh, 16, there's really 17, as it turns out, passages from just from the New Testament on, on this, and I told you we probably would not uh, hit them all, and uh, that's indeed the case. <laughs> we're not going to cover them all. But the passage we're looking at today is... One, uh, there, were, there were a couple of passages when I, when I first started thinking of this series that immediately came to mind, uh, and both of them were from Ephesians. We looked at one uh, the third week, the third weekend, and we're going to look at the other one today. So let's pray, and we will get to our passage. Father, thank you um, that we're not alone, and that no matter what goes on in this world, we have you. And you have us. And that makes all the difference. Thank you for this time we've been able to look and focus on different aspects of prayer. uh, Different challenges, I guess, for some of us in praying. We want to connect with you better, connect with you more. I ask that you would use your word today to help us toward that and to help us um, be people who not only know who our God is, but people who talk and communicate and listen. Thank you for the opportunity to lift up others as well. And as we look at some of these passages in this one today, as we look at how Paul was moved to pray for those he cared about, that you would remind us of some of the things we can pray for those too that we care about and love uh, that ultimately you would be glorified and that you would be better known we we thank you and pray this in Christ's name amen we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today page 1077 in your pew bible um Ephesus was a church that was very important to Paul. He spent a couple of years there. He was very close with them. If you read through the book of Acts, uh, you'll see uh, not only his time in Ephesus, but you'll see the time in which he had to say goodbye to those Ephesian elders. And it was tough for him. It was hard. Uh, You know, it was was a, a difficult thing. So as he's writing to them, he's writing to people not only that he has a relationship and cares deeply for, uh, he, is, he is writing to people that he wants to make sure continue to follow God. And as he's writing, he's remembering. He's remembering his time with them. And so part of what we see here is as, as he's writing, he's just kind of moved to prayer. And that's part of what this is. Chapter 3, drop down to verse 14. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, it sounds like an ending, doesn't it? But it's really, we're in the middle of Paul's letter. As he's writing to them, you know, he, he, he becomes you know, just, well, as I say, enamored, maybe that's not the word. He, he just becomes overwhelmed with his relationship with them and thinking of them and now their relationship with God. And he, and he, offers, he offers this prayer. Now he begins, you see, well, begins, he doesn't begin. Uh, this part that we look at starts in verse 14 with, for this reason, which means we have to back up to find the reason. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, for this reason, so we have to back up a little more. If you look at chapter 2, verse 11, it says, uh, so then, some of the translations say, therefore, which is a lot like, for this reason. Uh, you know, Now, we could keep backing up, but I think if we just back up to chapter 2, verse 1, if you, if you look there, it'll give us good preparation for the verses we're going to look at. Now, I'm not going to read that whole passage from chapter 2. On. It would be that would be something that would be good for you to read later this afternoon or something. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to summarize it in big sections uh, here and just very brief summaries, which I know I'm not exactly known for. Uh, but chapter two, uh, the first ten verses there, as you see, what he's talking about and he's saying is that we are brought from we are are brought from being dead in trespasses and sins to life in Christ Jesus through his grace. The the last few verses there, you know, 8, 9, and 10, it's by grace you're saved, through faith. And it's not of of works. It's not of yourself so that no one can boast. It's by by that grace of God he's talking about. Then it goes on, verse 11 to 22, and he's talking about the fact that we're made one in Christ. No longer outcasts, no longer outsiders. As he's writing to the church in Ephesus, this is part of that transition period in where they were realizing that they were different than the Jews. Remember, as they began the church, they just saw themselves as Jews who, Jews who now knew the Messiah. And they just assumed, as they were beginning, that when all the rest of the Jews heard who the Messiah was, they too were going to come along and say, hey, this is a great thing. Uh, that's not what happened. And so it, you're in that transition period, and he's telling them, you know, not, you're, you're, not, you're not outsiders, you're not, you're not outcasts. And he goes on into chapter 3, the first 13 verses, uh, there he's saying, you know, and, and so we simply don't coexist, uh, we're co-heirs together with Christ. You know, those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles, they don't, we don't just coexist, you know, now we are, we are co-heirs together now, other places it talks about as being co-heirs with Christ. Here he's talking about that relationship among, among those people who were, some saw, were, were seen as outcasts and felt as outcasts. And, and he says, no, that, 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 that's, not where, that's not where we're at now. And so he goes into verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, these two verses are really kind of a prelude to the six verses that follow, six verses of praying, really. But he says here, kneeling before the Father, that's a sign of reverence, a sign of respect to God as sovereign. 
You know, that, that, that kneeling there, uh, kneeling before the sovereign, and, and there's the picture, you know. It, that's a good way to start. That's a good way to approach God. You know, recognize, recognize and acknowledge God as sovereign. You know, he is sovereign. There is none above him. You know, he is the ultimate. He is the top. He is the highest. None above him. There's none greater than him. There's none, no one, nothing competing for his place in your life. You know, recognize him as sovereign. He has the right to rule simply because he is God. He is the sovereign God. You know, and come before him with respect. Come before him with respect. He's not, you know, he's not some chum on the street. Uh, you know, he's not your good old boy. He's not the man upstairs. I just heard somebody the other day talking about, well, you know, the man upstairs. He's, you know, we use, uh, quit, if you use those euphemisms, quit it. Just quit it. He's, you know, it, it, he is the only eternal, sovereign, holy Lord of all creation. This is who he says he's bringing them before. The Lord's Prayer starts out with very similar characteristics. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. It starts out with that same thing, acknowledging him as, as sovereign, acknowledging him as coming before him with that, with that respect. So who would you kneel before? As Americans, we're pretty proud people. We don't. We don't want to bow before anyone. We don't want to, you know, don't let pride, don't let pride or anything else, uh, you know, keep you from recognizing God. Don't let that keep you from acknowledging God as the only sovereign in your life. And, you know, it wouldn't hurt you to kneel every once in a while when you pray to remind yourself just to remind yourself of who it is you're addressing, of who it is you're praying to. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God is the source of man. Don't ever forget that. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God is the source of man, not evolution, not even theistic evolution. You know, the theistic evolution are some of those people who say that you know they want to they want to acknowledge science. And how do we fit God in? I know we'll twist God into something else. And they say, you know, that God started all this stuff, and and He's the one who started this. Whatever you start with. And he's the one that guided, that guided you know, the, the development until all of a sudden, bingo, bango, there was man, you know, and all these other things. But you see, that, the, the problem with that is it flies directly in the face of, of what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us, <clears throat> tells us that man was created differently. He was created distinct from all of the other animals. You know, from every other being, he was intentionally, by God, created that way. The part of our acknowledgement of God is sovereign over everything is acknowledging the reality of what he said. This harkens back to Genesis. Uh, it, um, verse 15 does. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make God, in, no, no, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. <coughs> You know, a, a great picture there for us. You know, he's talking about, he, he, who's the hour? Well, the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
you know, our triune God, one God. He said, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. You know, the, the, the specific act of God here, man as well as all creation, was created by a specific and intentional act on God's power, wisdom, and will. It was not just happenstance. It was not just, we'll, we'll mix it all up and see what happens. It was created, you know, we're given a bit more detail in the, in the next chapter of Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The only, the, a man is the only one that we're told God breathed the breath of life. Into him. A little bit later in that same chapter, it says, And God, the Lord God, made the rib uh, that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Specific, intentional, creative acts of God. Now, understand, this does not ignore science. This comes to a different conclusion from science based on the same evidence and based on the same discoveries. It's not ignoring science at all. It's coming to a different conclusion. Both evolution, both you know, evolution and creation are positions of faith. Both of them are. Evolutionists would say, no, they're not. Yes, it is. It's a position of faith. It is that, that faith is a belief about something that we don't know based on the evidence we do know. And we're all looking at that same evidence, that same evidence that is there, and they, are, they want to dismiss God, and so they have to come to a different conclusion. We look at that and we acknowledge God, and looking at that same evidence... We come to, I just, I, I just finished reading, um, I made my quarterly visit to the ER yesterday. It's just like, hey, hey, Pat, how you doing? Yeah, fine, got my room ready. Um, anyway, I finished reading um, my, the book I've been, I've been carrying in my car, and I read it when I have to go places, and I knew I'd have a little bit of weight there, so I brought, uh, the, Is Atheism Dead? by Eric McTaxis. And, you know, I think it's a good book. If you like, it's an apologetic-leaning book. Well, more than leaning. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I've, and at the end of this book, uh, those closing chapters, he gives example after example of, of scientist after scientist after scientist after scientist after scientist after, who are believers, who believe in God, who believe in the head of the genome project i can't remember the guy's name uh the human genome project it was you know chasing down the human is someone who believes in god and not just not just casually you know and it's looking at that same evidence and coming to the conclusion that this could only be from the hand of god that this happened god is sovereign Approach him with respect of that sovereignty. Now thinking about that moves Paul to pray for the Ephesians. Verse 16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now did you, did you notice the Trinity here? 
Did you, not just in that verse, in the ones we've been looking at. Look at in, in verse 14. I kneel before the Father, he says. Verse 16. That strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. And, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, he's talking about all of them. You have the, you have the Father there, you know, in, in verse 14. You have the Spirit in verse 16. You have the, the Son, the Messiah, in verse 17. And all of them, you know, the, the, the reality of who God is. And he pulls them all in there, that working of, of the Father, the Son, the Spirit among his people. You know, he, he says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Pray for inner strength, for inner strength from his presence inside. When you're thinking of others and you're praying for others, you'll pray for inner strength from his presence inside. Now, did you notice here? It's according to the riches of his glory. It's not according to your inner fortitude. You know, it's not simply reaching down deep inside yourself. It's not mustering up your strength. It's not just sucking it up and moving on. Now, those things can play a role in this. God can certainly use those and play a role, you know. It's not finding the real you. In fact, it's not really even about you at all. You see, it's about God here. It's according to the riches of His glory. Of His glory. This is simply a a yielding to His presence and following His lead. You know, that we're yielding to His presence, we're following His lead. It's not something that we earn. It's not because we have accumulated enough points. You know, it's not because we come to church regularly. It's because He is God. It's because of who He is, and we yield to His presence and we follow His lead. According, it's according to the riches of His glory, not our efforts. His glory, not what we do. He is chosen not to simply be with us, it says, but to live in us. Is a clear reflection of what He tells, what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, in that day... You will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The request here, you know, in in Ephesians is that we will be strengthened with power. This This is not a shot of adrenaline. This is a realization that God is in us. That transforming realization a transforming realization that He is in us and that He can give us the strength we need for the call that He has put on our lives. Strengthened with power in the inner man through His Spirit, He says. That we, are, we, we know that God is with us and that transforming power at work within us. Verse 17, He says, And that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now this is this is more than simply, you know, that he's residing there. This is a picture of being at home. This is a picture that your life, your lifestyle, your choices, your demeanor are such that God will feel at home in you. That he'll feel at home in you. 
that he will feel welcome, that he will feel a part, that he will feel that, that important place in your life. One of the people I always love having uh, dinner with, well, two, but um, uh, Elvin and Sharon. Whenever we had, whenever we ate with them, whether it was their house, our house, or we went somewhere, um, it, it, it was just always like, like we're just one, you know, and and not only that welcoming, but you know, if they were at our house, Sharon would still get up and do things and help, you know, and if we were somewhere else, you know, it's just that that one, that 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 welcoming. This is the picture that he has for us. That the Messiah will dwell in your hearts through faith. More than simply riding, residing there. That welcoming. That, that everything together lets us know that we want to be together. The second half of verse 17 is a statement that continues into verse 18. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, the height, and the depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. You kid that? So you'll know what surpasses knowledge. So you'll know, in a sense, what can be known. You'll, you'll know more, of, more of, of what you're never going to totally comprehend, but that you will know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray for a growing sense of God's love in their lives. That growing sense of God's love. Notice what it says about the growing sense there of God's love here. Why I'm saying that because it says that we're rooted and firmly established in love. It takes time for something or someone to be rooted and firmly established. When we got our house, there were no trees in the yard because the builder thought that was a good way to do things and there were no trees anywhere in anybody's yard. So, um, Jenny and I, should we, we were going to stop at a nursery the other day, it was Saturday, and we said, or Friday it was, and we said, yeah, we better not do that because we'll end up buying a tree. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, th- th- there were no trees, so we bought, we bought three trees. The, you know, the, the house came with a 12-shrub package. Uh, so we, we went to you know, the, the landscaper who was doing the 12 shrub package and you know we found three trees that we liked um well that's because you know you got if you bought three you got more money off and not only do i like having the trees in my yard i like a deal so anyway uh we got the three and we planted them around the yard well after a while um two of them were looking a little questionable i thought so i contacted an arborist because i wanted these trees to live and to make it and um, he comes out and he, he looks at them and, and the, the two that I thought were having trouble, he says, oh yeah, no, these are fine. This other one, well, wait, that's the good one, I thought, you know. Uh, he's, he said, there's a problem with the roots here. He said, you know, that uh, they, they were all really kind of just growing on one side, not the other. And he said, that's, you know, this one's not, this one's not going to make it. And I said, well, you know, when I got the trees, 
uh, they wanted, you know, they wanted to know if I wanted to buy this uh, extra two-year warranty. And he kind of chuckles and he shakes his head. He says, don't ever do that. He said, you can keep one of these. He said, any tree with a root ball on it like that, he says, you can keep that growing in your driveway for two years just by watering it. But if you want to keep it, he said, then you need to plant it so that roots can get established. You see, it's very easy to put on a front about, about being God's person. And it's very easy to put that up. And it's very easy to hang out and, and to, to even th- th- make some progress. Down the street from us, there, they had a landscape place. And then, you know, they decided to rip up Bass Road and everything. And, and so it kind of went out of business but the trees they left that, that were there in the, in the root balls were still there you know and they continued to grow and they you know and every year and in the leaves and stuff and they grew through that root ball down into the ground and now they're pretty firmly established you see, what he's telling us and what he's talking to us about here, you know, is, is that if you're going to grow to be established, you, you know, that, there's that, that whole picture of growing in, in God's love. You want to grow in God's love? Then plant yourself in a church that will help you and support you. When we put those trees in, you know, they tell you to big a, dig, dig a hole twice as big as the root ball, which sounds great until you start to dig the hole twice as big as the root ball, and then it doesn't seem like much fun anymore. Um, and, and you prep that, and you, and you put it in there, you know, and then we put stakes around it so that, and not sirloins, they were poor. Um, we put the stakes in to, to hold it in place and give it some support until those roots got established, you know, and all of those trees that we put in, those, those three, th- there's no more stakes around them now because they're, they're firmly established now. You want to grow, you know, plant yourself in a church that will help you. That's why he says, able to comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. Being together, you know, helps that growing, helps to to support, to get growing and established. If you're going to grow, if you're going to understand God's love, you're also going to have to spend time in God's word. The world's opinion of God will mislead you. That's an understatement. The world's opinion of God will destroy you. You need to get your opinion about God from God's word, from his communication to us. You know, I just heard this the other day again. When I was working on the sermon, I thought of this, and I heard somebody say it the other day again in the news you know, and something tragic happens and these people that ignore God most of their lives say, I don't know why God did this. And the comprehension of God's love needs to be more than merely an intellectual exercise. It needs to be more than simply a response to what's going on even. This, this growing in God's love, you, know, it, it, you get into his word, but it's not just a piling up of knowledge and facts. It's seeing those facts all around you. It is pulling these all together and seeing God at work around you. you know, it's gaining that understanding of, of God's love that opens your life up to know the experiences of God in your life. He says to know the Messiah's love. 
that word here for you know, know signifies you know being a, a taking in knowledge, a coming to to recognize, but it's an understanding that includes the head and the heart. Not just that knowledge, but it's, it, it includes the head, getting that knowledge and the heart, knowing that, you know, to see the love of God at work in the world around us, to see his love at work in the lives of others, to see his love at work in your own life. The Messiah's love. Don't twist it into your own thought of what that is. The Messiah's love was seen very clearly and most importantly on the cross. John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 15, Jesus said, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. It's not those warm, fuzzy feelings. He says, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That someone would lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15 comes after the Last Supper, hours before his arrest and crucifixion. No one has greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The love of God is seen at the cross. 1 John chapter 4, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And Paul's praying for the Ephesians and he says, and to know the Messiah's love that passes knowledge so that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. A love that transforms you more and more into someone who has been obviously touched. Someone who has certainly encountered the love of God because he says you are filled to all the fullness of God. You see, you, it is obvious in your life that you have been touched by God. You are filled to all that fullness. Pray for that growing sense of God's love. And he says, And now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to this power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So pray for a growing reality of God's presence, God's power, and God's glory in their living. When you are praying for others, pray for a growing reality of God's presence, His power, and His glory in their living. The focus here in these verses is on God. The focus is on that growing reality of God in their life. And this is what he's talking about. You know, it's God who does above and beyond all that we ask or think according to his work in us. It is him. You know, this in no, now, this in no way means, you know, in no way means that God will give us whatever you want. Let me ask you something. Why would you limit yourself to that? Why would you limit yourself to just what it is that you want? 
I mean, why, why would you not want what God has for you? You know, I, I don't want to be limited to what I can do. I don't want to be limited to what I know. I need God to take me beyond what I think. I, I need to take, him, to take me to understand, you know, that he has given me more than what I've asked for. Anything, anything you know, that it seems that I have accomplished is only a result of his power working in me. And he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That will only happen as God's people, us, you know, as we make the glory of God known by how we live, by what we say. Pray their focus and goal is to bring glory to God. That the focus and goal is to bring glory to God. You know, as they acknowledge God as sovereign and come before Him with respect, not embarrassment, not fear, not compromise, you know, and, and as they are, are strengthened by His presence within them, you know, and as they grow in their sense and experience of God's love in their lives, and as they have that growing reality of His presence, His power, and His glory in their living. To him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To all generations, to all generations, forever and ever. As we were singing this morning and we got to the, those, the, the, that combination of songs that they did, um, that uh, here I am to worship and good and gracious King. What a great expression of what he has called us to and to be. I'm going to ask the, the music team if they'll come back up and lead us in that, in that combination. Andy, take it back up to, um, you know, here I am to worship. And as they go into that other one. And as you sing this, Think of these verses we just read. Think of what he is calling us to. Think of, of, of what it is that he is, in, that he is wanting to enable us to be in him. To have that reality you know, that, that we can sing, you know, that we have come to worship and that we have recognized that he is our good and gracious king. Stand together as we sing this place. <clears throat>